welcome to The Kink Perspective. My name's Chris. I'm a psychotherapist and consultant. On this episode, I want to talk about something different, talking about something that's a little bit closer to my heart that in some of the circles that I run in inside of the BDSM community, this is a type of play that I do enjoy doing um, because I have a background in it. But I also want to touch base on another part of this type of scene that I've also seen that's been brought into the lifestyle community, into the BDSM community that I feel is quite, um, doesn't have any business being here. What am I talking about today? Today I'm talking about interrogation scenes and more specifically, I'm even talking about the art or practice of bringing waterboarding into BDSM. So, Initially, let's start off with understanding the interrogation scene, um, understanding the dynamics around that, who it appeals to, and kind of go from there. And then I want to kind of work forward into, you know, the evolution of like waterboarding with a brief history on the military side and what it was designed for um, and where it's at today. If we look at the, the... standard definition of what is an interrogation. It's to literally question someone in a systematic manner. And whether you're looking for specific information to be given to you by the specific set of questions that you're asking. So if we are looking at these interrogation scenes in in the sense of a BDSM community, you really can set up the scene as a dominant quite well. You can put a lot of thought into it. You can make a, you know, have a dark space with a solo chair and your two spotlights kind of shining down. And, you know, you maybe the, the chair is anchored um, or it's at least quite strong built. You might have your restraints and a couple of implements on a table. So when you bring your um, person in to be questioned, they can see some of these things or not. Maybe they're blindfolded. Um, you can you can get into the costume aspect and really kind of intensify the scene, um, and really I, I've seen it played up into some serious scenes where it's like you know a CIA style interrogation or World War II style interrogations. All of these things, you know, obviously if you want to look to enhancing that part of your scene quite strongly you can look online for different costume style options Um, and then kind of move from there the whole point of these scenes is to literally kind of psychologically torture and inflict that emotional torture on your submissive the dominant coming into these scenes is deciding exactly what type of information we're trying to get We're, we're looking for something maybe it's a game we started out that at the beginning of the week, I've told my sub, you know, I want you to um, pick a color and then I will tell you later in the week why. And so throughout the scene, I may be looking for ways to eventually figure out what color she chose and um, how I'm going to extract that information out of her. And, you know, this is, again, something more specific to the submissive that they know or the slave in this case, whatever the case may be. And... They keep that memorization. What this does is why we started, or I tend to start it early on, is because it kind of builds up that tantalization towards the scene. They're really starting to cognitively understand why am I having them pick a color or remember a song or some sort of obscure bit of information. And um, 
over that time too, I have them tracking some sort of story that's going to go along with this piece. Maybe they're moving military information or they're, you know, part of a car theft ring, something, whatever. Um, I tend to give out a lot more of the specifics so um, they understand how much of the role play is going to go on and um, kind of build it from there. And and the more information that you kind of, the more into the scene that you get, the more realism we end up extracting. Now, this is quite often that's done in, in real interrogation scenes and in, in, uh, law enforcement or military style settings. And, and this is where I'll get to waterboarding later on. <laughs> Wherein we're we're bringing somebody in, and they have some sort of information, and through a line of questioning over an exorbitant amount of time, we're trying to extract it. So when we're inside of these scenes, um, how how do I as the dominant go about extracting this information? And would I really want to? How am I going to plan to get it out of them? Am I forcing them down? Am I doing threats of violence? Am I threats of a beating? You know. Am I looking to humiliate them, like, you know, maybe expand on their secret fears? I'm really trying to extract information out slowly because I know they're going to drip feed it anyways. And what I'm really looking for as the interrogator is someone that's going to let something slip. You know, they're going to reveal that first thread that I can start tugging on. And I'm going to start dragging out some of that real information um, and going from there. And... It as you start to build, you know, keeping keeping within these scenes and keeping within this momentum, um, you're really putting yourself in this interrogator, interrogatee, interrogatee mindset, and we're really trying to elevate that point of this is more the psychological side of when we're inside of the BDSM style plays inside of a power exchange. Because we're no longer just in the physical realm where we're maybe flogging or cropping someone. We're really at this point crossing into the realm of psychological. Um, and I don't, I'm not going to use the word abuse, but we are going to talk about uh, taking a psychological beating. So when we talk about consent in our world, this is really where you're sitting down with your partner and you're asking them, you know, um, this is something that I'm interested in. These are the types of parameters this, this involves. How does this sit with you? You really need to understand somebody else's mindset. You don't want to deal with somebody in an interrogation scene that, you know, has a fear of small places or doesn't like confinement or, um, you know, s- starts to hyperventilate if they feel restrained, especially if they're feeling tortured. Um, and especially when I'm when we're looking to intensify these types of scene where you're adding in the realism of, of frightening somebody or terrifying them. And so they really don't know what you're searching for as you go through these interrogation scenes. And I know right now it's kind of really I'm starting off describing these scenes and I'm talking about them and and I'm kind of explaining what we do along the way and, and how does this tie in with where I'm trying to get to? Well through through the evolution of, of BDSM, like everything else, when I look at the, the fetish community, I kind of look at it like the universe. It's ever-expanding. So we're always pulling in new avenues to enhance our styles of play. We're always looking in to uh, do something new to satiate that desire for that bigger adrenaline rush, to release more endorphins, to really kind of get locked inside of the scene. And 
interrogation was one of these things that was kind of brought in. Um, and obviously it's been used throughout history that really intensifies those moments of that psychological where we can almost prey on someone's terror. We, as a sadist, you're, you're preying on that fear. You're really wielding inside of that power exchange. We're really kind of at the height here of what uh, a TPE or total power exchange element really should be. And it's, it's quite pinnacle. Um, when we think about all these things, you know, we're, we're borrowing from this genre of like, you know, we've, we've captured that spy or we've captured that, that wanted criminal and we're reinforcing through this, the dominant and, and submissive of the participants involved um, and how far we really, you know, how much trust has been extended inside of our dynamic. Through this escalation over time, what has started to happen is we've started to see more risky elements start to come by risky elements. Well, a typical plane, you know, where it's fairly controlled, I, you may have possibly somebody else in the room with you just for a safety feature, or you've obviously got the handcuff keys or quick release or even scissors to cut somebody out of bindings. So you're as prepared as you can be for a situation that comes up. But the newest thing that I've started to see inside of this, our subculture of the BDSM world is when we are looking now through, especially, and I think a lot of this gets picked up through when we see professional porn being done and that the way they portray um, BDSM activities don't necessarily translate and are quite diluted when it comes into the real world. And what I'm talking about now is waterboarding. Waterboarding is an interrogation technique. Uh, it actually it has its origins all the way going all the way back to China, where they used to do a drip draw, uh, a drip interrogation. So a cloth over someone's face or a canvas style bag. They would drip water slowly. Um, although at that point that wasn't enough to cause the drowning effect, but it was more about the psychological torture of just the, the slow drops constantly, repetitively, over time, that eventually broke someone psychologically. Unfortunately, through the global war on terrorism, which is no longer called that, um, interrogation techniques globally have, and I don't want to get too political on this, but I want to just kind of give you some more of the origins here, because it's quite important. When we started capturing terrorists and obviously we wanted to know more about their organization there are clandestine sites all over the world and you know this isn't a secret with the cia or nsa or other government agencies that are out there mi5 and so on and so forth that conduct interrogations even the private security contractors conduct interrogations and so they started using water torture and the number one thing that we've learned um, at least coming, in, and I know this coming from my military background, when we extrapolate information from a subject regarding um, regarding whatever we're looking for and we're torturing them, they're literally going to tell us anything we want to hear just to get the pain to stop. So how does this kind of all tie in with where I'm going at when when I'm looking at the regards of Waterboarding. So let's get a little bit of what waterboarding is. 
Waterboarding involves dripping water over a person's face while they're lying prone or on an angle with a piece of cloth that's covering their mouth and nose. Effectively, what we're doing is we're preventing them from breathing at a normal regulated pace that we normally do, right? Even on an unconscious level. We restricted their airflow, and when you try to breathe in, once this, you know, whatever's covering our, this cloth or this sheet or this canvas is covering our mouths and nose, we're starting to take in water. And as a result, carbon dioxide levels fall, and that makes us want to breathe faster. And um, you get this perception psychologically that you're beginning to drown when we're actually not drowning we call it this effect is known as dry drowning right now we've seen you know even other techniques throughout history or, or roots of, of waterboarding as it is go all the way back to the spanish inquisition um and you know when they were dunking people in water tanks and, and repeatedly over and over pull them up dunk them back down um we start to see now a lot of our the bdsm actors as far as even in the professional mindset that when they're starting to take do make bdsm imagery bdsm films that um people are trying to push this envelope so they brought in this effect of what's waterboarding and You'll see there's images, there's videos like on kink.com. I've seen pictures and stories posted on Fat Life and other social media aspects where they're starting to talk about, you know, how the BDSM and kink community, that the consensual level of waterboarding is, is alive and well and growing. And it's becoming more and more popular than, you know, anybody normally expected. Because the reality is that there is a whole cavalcade of things that come along with um, there's there's so many consequences and, and effects that come along with doing waterboarding, and we don't take these into account. And and I have a story I'm going to get to about some people I've read about. I used to talk, you know, had some interactions long ago with, and they kind of shied out of the scene. Um, when we look at as a community prioritizing the consent and our safety of those involved to the best of our ability as far as safety goes because you know you can only do so much to be safe we can definitely put this put waterboarding in the in the area of edge play so activity that's riskier than the norm of what we know inside of our spectrum of bdsm and we also know with elevated risk, there is potentially the elevated levels of serious harm or injury, which is something we're typically working against within the community. Now, if someone is doing this and they do this improperly, so if you're not laying somebody down at the right angle uh, or you're holding the cloth over their mouth too tight, especially for a long period of time, you know, we're, we're talking about you're going to cause convulsions, you're going to cause um, vomit, somebody to, to vomit potentially, you're going to deprive them of oxygen on massive levels, there will be issues with muscle atrophy, um, long-term effects even in a short period of time have resulted in brain death or brain damage and or death.
And what I don't seem to understand, and this is where it comes in for me, we know these are techniques we're using on, on you know, illegal techniques at that, um, that are incredibly dangerous, where a whole host of things can go wrong. Even if you have three, four, five people there watching, you do it to somebody who's even consented to it. And when we even look at like the bigger avenues of all of this, what people don't seem to understand when they get involved in this, you know, style of play, this style of edge play is there's long-term memory and long and short-term memory issues. This has been linked to depression, anxiety, stress, PTSD. And even though we're sitting here trying to consent to this, you're not going to be able to consent to the consequences that happen after the fact. So it doesn't matter if you signed a contract saying, oh, yeah, you know, I really want my dominant and my submissive really wants me to do this. You're no longer in control when something goes wrong. And so what we're doing is here for the sake of playing, for the sake of being new, for the sake of being cutting edge inside of the scene so we can post our latest photos or, or go from there. We're no longer in control. And that's the one thing that a dominant needs to be, or we're no longer able to consent a, something a submissive needs to do. Um, and when we look at all of these things, we're not really understanding even the legal sides of it all. And, you know, as far as I understand within, you know, the non well, outside of the legal community. But legally speaking, activities like consensual waterboarding, they're in a very gray legal area. And you have to, you if you're going to do this, if you're going to get involved, and if you're going to go against, and my recommendation is don't do it. You shouldn't be doing it. I think it's completely asinine uh, style of play, and you are literally risking your life to, for a couple of minutes of a potential endorphin rush that may or may not even come, but you're f risking far more than that. So if you are going to get involved, you better check out each state's law. Because if at any given point, if seriously bodily harm results, it doesn't matter if you've consented. You cannot consent to an injury at all. And that's even... You know, there's a big website that a lot of us look at when um, it's this whole national coalition for sexual freedom. And they fight for BDSM rights and LGBTQ rights and everything else. And they're great. It's a great forum to really look at. But just because you're sitting here signing a you know, consent form and you think that somehow, somehow absolving you from all of this responsibility, that's not going to protect you. But, you know... Oh, Chris, I, I don't care. I still want to get involved. Well, if you are, you better get involved with somebody who has established this practice, who is going to supervise this practice, who's going to be willing to teach this practice, is probably going to be demonstrating. You better be asking questions like, you know, how is my partner going to respond to a traumatic event? So I have now incapacitated my partner to the point I've drowned them. How is this going to affect me? What are my responses going to be? Who am I going to call? What am I going to do next? Do I know CPR? All of these little questions along the way. It's an awful lot of work to put into a scene that I don't think about those types of things. I'm not thinking about if I have to, you know, yeah, is the risk there if I'm flogging my slave or if I'm 
binding her and hitting her with a cane that she could have a heart. Absolutely, those risks are always inherently there with someone's health. But to elevate that risk, to take more risk when it's not necessary, there is no literally logical reason other than selfishness to get involved in this style of play. And I'm really kind of don't really understand, you know, when I when I see these things, let's risk our life. So I want to get to I mentioned earlier that there was a there were some people that had written a story. They're very much into the heavier scene. They're very much into the uh, extreme edge play. And when I recall this story, I was given from both pers- perspectives: his the switch mistress at the time, and the submissive male. And basically, they had gotten into the play. She didn't realize that he was in trouble. Um, they didn't have a whole, you know, they hadn't practiced a whole lot before. They'd gotten into a trouble. She didn't know who to call. He started convulsing. There has been now, the long-term effects are there is some, you know, potential brain damage. Um, there is motor skill function issues. There's memory issues. And all at, that, all at the expense of having fun. Or extreme kink play. Anything we can do, you know, and I already hear some of the comments coming at me or some of the emails that are going to follow. Well, everything we do is already extreme and risky. Well, sure. Absolutely. But I know that if I'm flogging someone or I'm handcuffing them, their chances of dying from me just handcuffing them rank at a level of, if we're looking at a scale of 1 to 100, probably like 0, maybe 1. Sure, I raise their hands above their head and I've now increased the blood flow to their heart, elevated risk of one. But when I'm intentionally putting someone on a decline, covering their face to the point that you know, their breathing is already restricted, simulate them drowning, causing them to convulse, causing them to pass out, causing them to asphyxiate. I've now taken that risk And I have, because waterboarding literally can kill you within minutes. For some, it has literally killed, and these are obviously criminals, but it is obviously, it has killed some people on record within less than a minute. So how do you know when to stop? You know, your go, you're not really putting in place a safe word here because you're literally covering their mouth and covering their nose to torture them with water because it's sexually gratifying. Then what? Great. So maybe you're going to put something in their hand, right? And the scene is starting to intensify. And as long as they're holding on to that pencil, for example, or something bigger, like a tennis ball, um, they drop it. And then the scene is allegedly supposed to end. But what's going to even happen if if they need the scene to quit, they drop it. You're not paying attention because you're focused on the front half of their body, maybe not the lower half where the, you know, the, even if the tennis ball for in this example, sitting on their stomach and they've now dropped it on the floor and it takes you a moment or two to even notice that or longer or even the other person in the room with you. And then what? The damage is already done. And how do you walk back from that now? 
this person that you trust and care for, you've gotten to know, and you've established this foundation, you have now literally harmed them to the point that all of these other conditions can happen. And again, at the expense, and I've actually been sitting on this topic about, you know, oh yeah, we waterboard for pleasure. And I sit and I let this idea rattle around in my mind, and I'm trying to understand where we at when we think about this is this is what I want. I literally want to get off by being simulatedly drowned. And it's not really a simulation. We are actually being drowned. We're being asphyxiated. And I do understand about breath play. And I do understand how many people are involved in breath play and how many people like it. I've been involved in that practice. But I've trained with really good people. I've been to a lot of classes. And even at that, the people I get involved with I walk them through. We we look at different parameters of breath play and we, I make sure medically what's going on with them. And it's a lot of going slow. But with waterboarding, there is no going slow. You're literally laying down, being, having their face covered and pouring water all over them. Which consequently, when you're on a decline, now your nose becomes like a bucket receptor and water is dripping up your nose. Sure, you can lay somebody just flat on their back, but guess what? Again, as that cloth around their mouth gets wet and people struggle to breathe and they're inhaling and they're flailing around, they're going to inhale that. And by the way, we can even talk about the physical effects. So now we've caused somebody to start convulsing. and Maybe we have them restrained. So now they're convulsing so hard, they're straining their muscles. They're, they're in one case, I've read about somebody you know, broke their leg because they were shaking so hard and they were restrained, uh, broke their ankle. And again, all for what? This is one of these practices that I believe shouldn't be in. Now, of course, this is strictly my opinion. Because I'm looking at, when I look at the psychological effects of all of these things, now what, where are we at once the harm has happened? There's no walking back once you've suffered memory loss. There's no walking back once you have now experienced, you know, PTSD, once you've experienced brain damage. You don't, these, these, these instances no longer go away. They are now forever ingrained in our mind. For a moment that sexual, we think, maybe, will sexually excite us and we have something to get off to later on because we decided to film it. More than likely... When these instances occur, and the one story that I mentioned, um, law enforcement wasn't involved. And had they been involved, then what? Is there a crime? Of course there's a crime. She's physically harmed her submissive. He can't consent to that. And let me repeat that again. You can't consent to being injured. End of story. It doesn't matter what you tell the courts. It doesn't work that way. So why elevate the risk? Why is there a need to push for more, to be so avant-garde you think you need to be that cutting edge? Maybe there is a point that you need to really sit down and talk with someone to understand why the extreme is the only thing you are going to need to feel that connection and to feel that gratification or sexual release. My only question is, is your life worth it? Is this style of kink too much? Does waterboarding even have a place in our community? That's not for me to say. And my personal opinion is no, it doesn't. I think it's a dangerous practice, and I, th- and, you know, it's. 
and I'm not going to confirm or deny if it's still going on in, in as an interrogation technique. Um, I know what the presidents of the United States have said. I know what other foreign dignitaries have said about the practice. But at the end of the day, it's something that was really more modernized for military interrogation. And if it's going to be left anywhere, it should be left there. It's not for a world to be playing in because the consequences, the risk at hurting someone for our own pleasure, for their pleasure, it doesn't outweigh the risk. My job as a dominant is to protect my submissive or protect my slave at all times to mitigate the risk. No matter how much they want something, I'm the one who's in charge. And as a, sub as a submissive or a slave, understanding that we're putting someone in that position of harming us just because we want something. What's that say about our selfishness? It's a lot to think about. <clears throat> I'd kind of like to hear your thoughts on what you think about waterboarding. Um, when I post this up, there's going to be obviously a comment section. But do you believe it has a place in the BDSM and fetish, you know, grander lifestyle community? Is it a practice that, you know, is really that enticing? And I, I do want to spare the one thought here is because a lot of people have, you know, and I've talked to quite a few people that are um, saying, oh, yeah, I've been involved in waterboarding. And I'm not talking about somebody... You know, bending your head backwards, grabbing you by the hair and dump water all over your face. And, you know, you had to hold your breath for about three seconds. It's not what I'm talking about. It is literally putting a cloth over your mouth and drowning you. And there is plenty of stuff online to see as a reference. There's plenty of it is done in the movies. And it's not far off. So I'd like to hear what the rest of you think. Am I wrong? Am I right? Does it have a place? What do you feel on this subject matter? Do we think that we're maybe starting to start? Are we starting to see the, where the edges of kink versus the edges of criminality are reaching too much? Or is this just an overprotected opinion that um, is too judgmental? Let me know in the comment sections below. Until next time, everybody, be safe and stay king.